0: Happy New Year. You can do better than that. Happy New Year. Happy or may, maybe you're hungover from a Happy New Year. Is that a possibility? It's good to be home again and it's good to be in this pulpit. It's an honor. Um, I think of sitting where you have sat. I sat over there with our family and um, listening to many a preacher and many a sermon and playing tic tac toe in the pew cushions through some of them. Um, but glad to be here. It's a very significant day, as you can imagine, for our family. We, our roots run deep here, and I think the last time we were here as a family was for a memorial service for Dad five years ago. And um, it's not lost on me that that was the last occasion. And then it's so nice to have this occasion as another generation is in this church and um, been baptized in this church as we baptized the great-grandchild of Joe and Martha Welker, um, Lainey. So we know they're with us in spirit. And it's such a joy to see family together here. We um, are also, um, I noticed something about this pulpit that's different. There's no clock here anymore. There used to be a clock here, so I thank you for that. I hope you don't have lunch plans. (laughs) We turn to the um, passage for today. It's really for Epiphany, um, and we're celebrating Epiphany today. I'm reading just the um, first 12 verses of this great passage But I would encourage you to continue reading on your own at home. The next part is rough going after the part I read. I'll allude to it in my sermon. But if I were to give it a rating, it would be rated R for violence. And it was not good for children to hear the next part. So I encourage you to read that. And now I know all the children will read the next part. (laughs) Let's listen to the Matthew's Gospel. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, Bring me word, so that I may also go and pay him homage. When they had heard the king, they set out, and there ahead of them went the star that they had seen at its rising, until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. Then, Opening their treasure chests, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Would you join me in prayer? Lord, we give you thanks for the gift of your word, the word of scripture, the word made flesh, the word that dwells in our hearts. We pray that we may be receptive to the gift of your word this day, and that we may respond in the living of our lives. For we pray this in the strong name of Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, I was thinking about this story this Christmas over the season in my own church, and actually was preaching and thinking about it over um, Christmas Eve and last Sunday, and I realized that something about the wise men that I'd never noticed at Christmas have you ever considered that they were the perfect Christmas guests? I guess coming to visit Marty made me thinking about this angle. Think about it, they come from afar, they bring gifts, expensive gifts, gold, frankincense and myrrh. And then they leave and they go home. They are the perfect Christmas guests. They they come, they bring expensive gifts and then they go home. Now, maybe my sister Marty wishes we had done the same thing a few days ago, but she wasn't that lucky. We've been here three days, and we brought candy and bread and brownies. And that's about it. But they were pretty good, candy and brownies. I also have to confess to you that it's very hard whenever I read this passage. It's very hard for me. to read the story of the wise men or the magi without thinking of a song that I learned right here in Riverside when I was singing in the youth choir years ago. Many, 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 many years ago. We were offering this musical, Celebrate Life, for worship. It was around probably 72, 73. Dr. Stoffel was here at the time. Mrs. Giddings was our choir director, and Marshall Pearson was was the, I had to look up the title, he was the organist and the choir master. How's that for a title, being a choir master? I won't say any more about that. But I was given a part. I was so proud. I was given the part as one of those three wise men. And every time I hear this story, this is what comes to mind. We are three kings. We are loaded with shiny things. We rode on three camels that aren't very pretty. We're kind of tired and just a bit gritty. And then we go on. We are three kings. We are three kings. And it was a whole bit. And there my friends and I, we were dancing up and down that aisle right there that's still standing. And my, we were a little bit wild in the 70s, weren't we? And the church is still standing. It was fun. It was just a lot of fun. Great for a high school choir to sing. But then when I read the text, I have to confess to you, I realize there's little funny in this story. Rather than fun and dancing, there's actually fear in the air. When the wise men show up to the manger, there is terror, there's fright, there's fear. They had come because they had been studying the stars. They were, after all, astrologers, Zoroastrian priests of another religion. They were looking for the signs of one who said, who was said to be born king of the Jews. So they were looking. They read the stars like New Agers in our time, and the star eventually led them to Jesus Christ who even as a child was already a light to the nations. On the way there, they are stopping, asking anyone and everyone for more directions. They got as far as the star would take them, but they keep asking around town, where is the child who has been born king of the Jews? For we observed a star and it's rising. We've come to pay him homage. They were off by seven miles. They were in Jerusalem, not Bethlehem. I imagine them going into the local temple and asking all the people gathered like you're here, now Now we saw the star, will you tell me where is this child born king of the Jews? And nobody knew where. So they go maybe to the market. Where Have you seen where this child born king of the Jews is? Nobody knows. But Herod gets wind of this, and he doesn't like what he hears, so he consults his scholars. Herod, that's when the plot begins to thicken, is it, with a... With a force as dark as anything you'll see in a Star Wars movie, Herod, the Darth Vader of his time, calls in the priests and the scholars to see if he can find out through the scriptural GPS system where the Messiah is to be born. And then Herod sends them. He says go find him and he lies to them about the true intentions. He is a slick politician, this Herod. He says he wants to worship the child. But we know better, don't we? And before you know it, there's murder in the air. Fear, not faith, drives Herod. When Jesus is born, he doesn't see a gift to the world, the hope of the world, love to the world. No, what he sees is a threat to the throne. And he is right in a way. Jesus still opposes the ways of the kingdoms of this world work, always has, always will. Herod is frightened by the very thought that a rival king might be born, so he does what many in power do when they're threatened. He seeks to eliminate the threat. And that's a story that follows. It's a harder story to read. But let me sum it up for you. He orders the slaughter, the slaughter of every child, every firstborn male under two years old. He has to do that just to make sure, to cover his bets, that we get rid of this one child. I've been trying to think of that scene in my head, what an awful scene, thinking about infants and one-year-old children being yanked from their mother's arms by some soldier, ready to slaughter them one at a time just to feed Herod's fear. There must have been screaming and wailing, it had to be brutal. So you may understand why I used to skip over this part of the story, why I was so glad I was gone that Sunday after Christmas when we read that story, because it's kind of a dark story to read a couple of days after Christmas, isn't it? That's not exactly a very light thing to do. But I'm thinking I was wrong to skip the story, because I think I know what Matthew's up to here. In a way, I think what Matthew's really trying to do for us is to prepare us for the real world, He is giving us a statement about the reality of Christian life in the world as we know it, not as we may dream it were. It's a reality that faces strong opposition and demands difficult and dangerous choices if we are to be faithful to our witness that Jesus Christ is Lord of our lives and not something or someone else in this world. If we are to be faithful, it's going to be tough to bear witness that Jesus alone is the light of the world and that he is the King of kings and the Lord of all lords. Matthew knows that the world we are living in is a harsh world. It is a world filled with terror then. It is a world filled with terror now. Do I need to let any of us know in in on that? It is a dangerous world, which raises the question, How is one to live out Christian faith in a world like this, a world filled with Herod's and terror and fear? I return to the wise men for the clue. My friend Katie Crowe, a pastor in my area, helped me see it. She said, looking at the wise men, we see the greatest gift they gave Jesus was not anything that could be laid at his feet but the way in which they went out into the world after they encountered him. The greatest treasure to the kingdom was not anything that could be found for the low, low price and the gift of the Magi box set, but in the way those wise men allowed Christ to break into their world and to transform their lives. And so I venture to say that the question before us is not what will we bring to Christ, But what will we take away from Christ, knowing all the cost involved? For it is not how we come to the manger, but how we depart from the manger, that will define our discipleship in a world like this. Are we going to leave the manger, the same old, same old, follow the ways of the world? Or will we choose to follow the ways of the Christ? and live out our faith in ways that will give the gospel of Jesus Christ a chance to save this world. The God who informed the Magi to go home another way encourages us to follow a different path as we live out our faith. I've come to think of it as that road less traveled about which Robert Frost wrote, two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by. And that has made all the difference. For me, and Suggest for you, the road less traveled is the road traveled by those who follow the Christ in a world like ours. You know, most people, even Christians, are returning back to the new year, and I admit it's tempting for me, not too different from the way we just left the old one. I mean, how much has really changed? Having left their gifts at the manger, celebrated Christmas, they're going home the same way as they came. They're returning the same old road that everyone else is going home on. When I read the story, that just seems so sad to me. What a lost opportunity! If we remain unchanged by the birth, I mean, once you've met God in Jesus Christ, how could anything ever be the same again? We should all be taking a different road. T.S. Eliot ends his poem "The Journey of the Magi," imagining their thoughts as they go home, no longer at ease here in the old dispensation with an alien people clutching their gods. The coming of Jesus means we grow discontented with the way things are, or used to be, or the way we used to be. Truth is, truth is, and you know it, his coming does not make our lives more comfortable or safe or secure. If anything, as I read the Gospels, Jesus creates discontent in the lives of those who encounter him. If you don't believe me, go home and read any of the Gospels this afternoon. So no wonder it's the road less traveled in our world, even by many Christians, because it's the harder road to be sure. Those who travel this road are no longer at ease in a world not committed to the ways of Jesus. A strange, unfamiliar road less traveled is now our path, the path of following and teaching the way of Jesus. Today, we set Laney on that road, as every one of us, I suspect, or most of us, have been set on that road here at baptism. It's a road that, if she fulfills her baptism, and God blesses her in that, it will change her life. This church set me and my sister and my brother on that road. I, I found an old bulletin in old Dad's stuff. Dad had a... Lord, he had hordes of stuff. He had old toll receipts. He had so stuff. But one of the bulletins I cherish is from Riverside Presbyterian Church, December 23rd, 1956, where it was the date of my baptism over there. Looking back, I realize that was maybe the most important day of my life when Joe and Martha Welker stood up there, just as it's the most important day for Laney's life today. Because here, thanks to that baptism and thanks to this community of faith, my life took a different road than many people. It started right here thanks to singing in choirs and people who taught me in Sunday school and youth group and were patient with me and let me dance down the aisle and all that silly stuff. It's a road that's taken me especially in the area of mission. I left Riverside thinking that mission was the core of the life of the church, because you taught me that. I remember Christmas International House. I was talking to Michael the Sexton earlier. Michael and I were reminiscing about how hard it is to set up for Christmas International House. I remember the Brooklyn ministry here, and we had African-Americans coming here in the 60s and 70s and coming to youth group and coming to choir and coming to vacation Bible school. And later I heard the story. I don't like to tell you this, but it's a hard story. But some people would not send their children to vacation Bible school because African-Americans were there. That was back in the 70s. I know it's different now. But you took a cutting edge. You were always helping those in the community This has always been the mission-driven church. It's in the DNA of Riverside. I'm so glad to hear that you're going to have a conversation about Syrian refugees here. Sharon and I have been privileged to go to Turkey twice now with some Muslim guides and friends. And, And one of the things that left an impression was being on a Syrian refugee camp two miles from the border of Syria and watching them flood in to camps and to places where they had a soup kitchen. And literally on the side of the road everywhere were little families, not even a tent, living there. I went back this year. They had moved to Izmir, a coastal city that looks like San Diego. And they're in the median. I mean the median families living with no place to go. I remember looking in the eyes of a 25-year-old, a woman holding her baby, probably the same age as Lainey, and how different the future is for that mother and that child than it is for Lainey. Holding that child, and I'm thinking, this woman has nowhere to go home to, this woman has nowhere to go. And that child is stuck in the middle of an event larger than she is. So thank you for addressing the topic of Syrian refugees. It is about God's children in the world. I know you would do it because it's in the DNA of Riverside. And thanks to you, my DNA spread to other churches. And I don't have time to tell you, but many mission trips later, I'm still going on missions. This week, Tuesday, I leave for a little village in Zambia. And it's going, I'm not Zambia, I've been to Zambia, but in Guatemala, a little village of 600 people. And we've been working with partners there. And this week, Riverside will come home to me. Guess what they're doing there? They're raising tilapia. On top of a mountain. It's like going to Beach Mountain and you're raising tilapia. And you know what they need us to do? They've never cleaned a fish. Well, Floridian knows how to clean a fish. We're going to teach these Mayan women who have a fourth grade education how to clean fish. That's a great thing. The journey that started this baptismal font and starts for Laney and for all of you, it takes you some strange places, I'm here to tell you. And when I think back on my life, I'm getting old now, so I'm thinking back a lot more. I know my mind always comes back here about why I do what I do and who I am. It comes back to you, my mother church, Riverside. A church that, if it taught me nothing else through everything you did, it taught me the great commandments to love God and love neighbor. Those are the greatest things Jesus wants us to do. This was the church that taught me in thick time, good times, and thin that forgiveness and reconciliation are core values of Jesus, and they should be our best expressions of loving God and loving neighbor. Well, I can't speak for you, but that's the kind of road you set me on. I trust it's the same kind of road, Laney, and many of your children are set on as we try to teach each other how to follow Christ in a world like ours. It is a road less traveled. You know, the challenge of following Christ in the new year may be best summarized by the great theologian of North Carolina. James Taylor. He sung, sings this wonderful song, Home by Another Way. He writes, Steer clear of royal welcomes, avoid a big to do. A king who would slaughter innocents will not cut a deal for you. Time to go home another way. Home another way. Me and you can be wise guys too if we go home another way. So before Sharon and I head up in a few minutes, up I 95, whatever that bold traffic's going to be, we're going home. Let me just leave you with this thought. This year, don't go home the same road that you came. Don't leave the manger that way. Take the road less traveled. You know you won't be alone. You have the church with you. You have your friends. You'll find everyone, all people around you walking with you, all ready to bear witness to the one who was who still is and will always be the light for the world. Amen. Let us pray. God, long ago you shone a light in this world, a dark, dark world, in a dark, dark time, and you brought light and hope to your people, and you called disciples to follow, to be to share that light with others. Lord, enable us and Help us and transform us so that we, too, can share the light which you wish to offer people in our lives and through our lives and into this world. We pray this in the strong name of Christ our Lord. Amen.